Hello all, and welcome to the Plexus podcast series. We hope you enjoy our podcast today with our very own Brad Johnson as he sits down with Stephanie Lyles, VP of Enrollment and Communication at Ohio Wesleyan University in Delaware, Ohio. In the beginning, she shares what led her to the world of admissions and the differences between an adult learner versus a more traditional learner. From there, she then dives into what's been learned during COVID over the last year, standardized testing, who is their competition, and even her favorite musical. Thank you so much for listening. Please be sure to subscribe and share. joining the Plexus podcast series. Today we are happy to have the Vice President for Enrollment and Communications at Ohio Wesleyan University, Dr. Stephanie Niles. Uh, Stephanie, how are you doing this morning? I'm well, thank you so much for having me. Of course, of course. Well, we are so excited to have you and we look forward to a very fun and informative uh, podcast. Um, so let's start off, if you could, just take me through a little bit of, of your history and your background. I know you've been in a number of, of places and, and had a number of great experiences. So maybe walk me through your history. Absolutely. So I, I started as an intern in college. I actually transferred twice while I was in college, which is what piqued my interest in admission. I went to three very different schools, studied in three two or three different areas, you could say. Um, but the consistent theme was admission and the process of securing a spot at each of these places, which led me to be an intern as an undergraduate, which led me to do what my institution called externships, you know, short-term internships, where I got to peek into the operations of a couple of different admission offices. At one of them, somebody said to me, you know, there's a graduate program that you could pursue to learn more about the field. I thought, well, how interesting. So um, after I graduated, I did um, pursue a master's degree at um, Indiana University Bloomington. While there, I did a bunch of work in residence life. I worked in student activities, alumni affairs, but in admission as well, career services too. I kept coming back to admission, however. Um, my first job was in residence life at the University of Tennessee, but uh, my heart was still in admission. And I actually went to the admission office there saying, you know, with five to seven hours of my own time, could I get a, get a peek into what you're doing here, how admission works at UT? I ended up leaving the institution after a year because I got a full-time job in, in admission and, and then spent the next 12 years really cutting my teeth in college admission at DePaul University and worked my way up the ladder. Within two years, I found my, myself in a situation where the eight, um, six of the eight staff members who reported to the director ended up leaving all at the same time. And suddenly I became the most senior member of, of the team and got promoted at that point to be able to provide some leadership to some of the new folks coming in. Um, sort of made my way into the director role after about four years, spent four years as director of admission, became dean of admission for a year, and then vice president for admission and financial aid. Um, from there, I went to a small college in my hometown, religious, religiously affiliated institution called Brinathan College, um, where I spent two years really building an enrollment operation almost from scratch. Uh, it was an institution that had relied on a church affiliation to support its enrollment. 
but at that point was looking to expand into other markets. And so they brought um, me in to help do that. Spent two years there, then went to Hollins University where uh, I was the vice president for enrollment and then took on marketing as part of that two years in. Hollins is a women's college, so a whole different set of challenges that I had the chance to experience there. Um, while I was there, I also, um, while both while I was at Bernathan and at Hollins, I pursued my doctorate in higher education management through the University of Pennsylvania, earned that in 2012, uh, then went to Dickinson College, spent three years there, um, had the chance on the course of my time there to oversee admission, financial aid, marketing and communication, institutional research and athletics. So broaden my portfolio, expand uh, my, my array of experiences. And then had the, um, while there, I also was elected to the presidential cycle for the National Association for College Admission Counseling for NACAC. And so um, st began my president elect year. I then transitioned and um, went to Ohio Wesleyan University where I'm just completing my third year now. Uh, and and serve as 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 you already said, Brad, the vice president for enrollment and communications. Um, so I've I've really had this great fortune to work for five very different institutions um, with a couple of different missions, different populations which they serve. Uh, I've worked for some tremendous leaders, uh, college presidents. Had the chance to serve our profession and our association through my work at NACAC and. Um, have, have uh, you know, now we're sitting in the midst of this pandemic, hopefully um, emerging on the other side, and that's presented a new array of challenges. It's one of the things I love about admission is that I don't know that I've ever had a day where everything has happened exactly as I expected it to. There's, there, um, no matter how much time one spends working in this field, I think this year has taught us all that, um, that, that you've got to be flexible, nimble, adaptable, creative, thoughtful and uh, you never know what what is on the horizon next. So talk to me a little bit about why why admissions and enrollment management? Well, I think it goes back to where I started in my my little bit of an overview of my history. You know, again, transferring several times. Um, I went first to Wagner College in New York where I was a musical theater major. I thought I was gonna wow the great white way and, and head to Broadway. I realized I, I love to sing. I'm a pretty good actress. Um, I couldn't really dance at all. Just not, I was not the triple threat that I needed to be, but um, it was something I could always continue to do in some capacity. But I realized I, I needed to study and wanted to study something different. So I went to Bernathan College, which I mentioned before, which was in my hometown, and took everything, took English and philosophy and sociology and French and biology and just took a range of courses to get me thinking differently, um, decided I'd draw on my longtime love of reading and writing and become an English major and I transferred to the University of Virginia. Three very different schools, very different processes, again, led me to think, this is such an interesting um, experience that I have now gone through. So I did an internship in the Office of Admission at UVA which you know got me even then into schools, working with students and reviewing applications and learning about the ways in which we communicate. Which you know back in the in the '90s were not as plentiful, but even then we were de determining how to use the tools to our greatest advantage to reach out um, and and convey information to students. So certainly the problems and challenges have expanded, but they um, they were there at that point as well. So I was just really intrigued by 
the type of work, the ability to, to work with students, um, the influencers of students. I mean, I will say that a lot of people, I think, get into this field because they want to work with students. And that's definitely true in my case. But I was more interested, I would almost say, in the way students think. Why do they make the choices they do? What are the people, the communications, the factors that influence them? And, and how can those be shaped and molded by the, the work that I could do in admission and in, and in marketing work? So I would say that's what led me there. And then the different institutions, I, I found a lot of, because I served in so many different roles over a pretty short time period, I really feel, felt like at DePaul, I got to touch every aspect of college admission and then working at different institutions again like i said serving different populations i i saw the the real breadth within the field and how it's it's you can't just apply what you've done at one place to another there are certainly lessons learned but you do have to be really engaged with your current population um uh and and how best to serve that population and what its particular needs are. And then another, I would say constant has been involvement with NACAC and with um, affiliate organizations. I have developed such a wide network over the years. Um, my second, first or second year in admission, I had the good fortune to work with Indiana uh, Association for College Admission Counseling and to serve on the professional development committee and then become the chair. And so I did that my whole time I was there until I entered the presidential cycle for the affiliate. and just met the best people, learned so much more about the profession, um, learned how other offices function, and, and just always saw that there was ch uh, challenges and opportunities available to me. Yeah, that's great. And so touch upon for a minute, in your experience, what's that difference between working with, you know, you were at an all-women's an all college. Mm -hmm. What does that look like in enrolling, working with, women at a women's college versus men that's one question then the other question is an adult learner versus traditional yeah so the obviously without men I, I remember for years going to conferences where there were sessions entitled you know where have all the men gone how to attract men to a liberal arts college i, I didn't have to deal with that frankly right but there are other challenges in attracting women to an institution without men um, so, you know, being really thoughtful about who does a women's institution appeal to, you know, the numbers are very small. It's such a uh, unique and distinctive and um, wonderful experience, um, but it's, it, it, you do have to find the right students who are willing to sort of open their minds to what they may see as a different, different type of experience and opportunity for them. And so, figuring out what's the messaging that's that's going to attract those young women who would consider it. Um, um, there certainly are our alumni. I think this is the case for most institutions, but I think no more so than at a women's college. Our alumni were absolutely critical to our success. Um, and, and while I was there, developed uh, in conjunction with our alumni and advancement teams, strategies to better engage our alums in that process. There's no better person to share uh, the benefits of a women's college education with than somebody who's been through it and 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 who can really um, address how how it is to one's advantage. Um, actually, while I was at Hollins, we also did have an adult 
um, population as well. I, I haven't worked with truthfully many adult learners. That was that was one of the exceptions. Um, and so under my purview was um, our Horizons program, which was for women typically over the age of 24 who were starting or returning to school. And so, you know, different different messaging, different approach, different concerns that they have. Many were um, balancing their their real desire to go back to school with the needs of a family, um, with a full time job. Um, and so, the ability to help those individuals to think creatively, to determine how they can um, find some flexibility within their own schedules um, to, to keep them motivated towards the goal of attaining that educational degree. Um, you know, it was a, a different way uh, to support those individuals and really important to understand the different types of support that those individuals needed in, in their process. Excellent. So now let's, let's uh, fast forward a bit to Ohio Wesleyan. And let's look at that. Let's look at the past year, year and a half and talk about the pandemic. And how has that, how has that changed you personally? And then also what lessons have been learned at OWU? Personally, I would say I, I am, I would define myself as a true extrovert. Um, you know, I really draw on the energy of others and I haven't found that to be wholly lacking in Zoom, right? Where we're, you know, 95 at, at times, 100% of my time was spent on camera, um, but but it's different, right? It is, it's definitely a different energy, uh, a different type of engagement. Um, I guess I realized about, to a certain extent about myself that I, I've never been somebody who I would say has a great um, handle on the work-life balance. I think that the pandemic helped a little bit in in defining that for me. Um, I know some people say that that just the opposite, that you know because they're working from home and and then they're living at home, that uh, that their worlds are colliding. I actually found it for some reason. I can't quite put a handle on this yet. It was a little bit easier for me to separate when I you know it was time to turn the computer off. I also liked, frankly, the, the flexibility. You know, in enrollment work, some of what we do is in the evening, and when we're working with students or trying to get in touch with someone or um, communicating with families. You know, I did a lot of webinars in the evening where I, you know, lead or facilitate conversations. So I, I liked, frankly, having a little bit of that balance during the day to run out on an errand um, or to a doctor's appointment or, you know, have that, have that flexibility. I think that, um, I, and I think I found that staff appreciated some of that flexibility as well. You know, as long as you can get the job done, um, I became more of a fan of, of, of a flexible, a bit of a flexible workday, um, certainly for myself and for others who can manage it as well. Um, I also, um, I had the really good fortune to be, I, not good fortune that my son had his first year of college interrupted, um, but he was home and I had time that I didn't anticipate with him. My daughter was a uh, first junior, then senior year of high school. Um, certainly had more time with her than I ever anticipated. And so having that sort of recapturing that family time, I think was something, I, I think was something that we all enjoyed. My kids seem to seem to respond to it, though they're also happy to be reacclimating, of course, to their to their own routines and activities. But um, that's certainly something that I I benefited from during this time. My institution, um, I'm really proud of what we did in admission. I think we pivoted really quickly and capably to how are we suddenly 
not able to be in the office, not able to welcome visitors, not able to see students and address them in the ways that we have. Even our communications, of course, were interrupted um, as there was no mail center that was functioning at our institution. Um, so it was it was definitely a, a time of um, you know circling circling up the the chairs and then eventually the the Zoom screen to um, figure out how how are we going to do this? How are we going to provide students who many of whom at that point right mid March we were working largely with seniors. Um, we'd gotten the last of our admission decisions out the door for the most part, but we were trying to. Um, help those students make informed decisions, many of whom had been to campus, but definitely not all. So how did we create those spaces um, to give students the information that they needed access to? And then, of course, um, it, this uh, has all gone on much longer than, than we've expected and anticipated. I think that we've learned a lot this year. We've learned some things that we will continue to do in admission specifically. Um, and some things that we'll be really glad to get back to. For example, we, we have welcomed visitors to campus in a modified way since last June. And, and, and we'll continue hopefully to see that our ability to host students and families expanded. Um, and I think we will really look to um, further um, incentivize, frankly, fam families to come to campus. The, um, you know, we yield such, uh, such a high percentage of students who do visit that it's so important for my institution to be able to have students on campus. We've done a number of um, significant building projects, actually, even during the pandemic. One brand new residence hall, one completely renovated residence hall, um, $4 million renovation to our basketball, uh, volleyball arena, um, our Branch Rickey Arena, as it's called. We're getting ready to do another major project in the building in which my office is located, um, where it, which will house our honors program, some classroom space, a couple of academic departments, um, and our career connection program, as well as admission and financial aid. And, and so there's lots happening on our campus. It's really important that we still get students there. But we also recognize that um, there are students who will never make it there, right? They're inter international students, they're, they're too far away. There's perhaps a different, slightly different um, ability to make a choice without being on campus because so many students now have had to do that. Um, but we, one of our most successful endeavors, I would say, is our live virtual tour, which actually, of course, lets students go along with the count with the uh, tour guide as they're walking through campus. They can ask questions while it's happening, so they're they're not right there, but it's as close as they can get to being right there and engaging with the tour guide and the and the campus in that way. So lots, lots that we've learned. I think lots that we'll continue to learn. I don't think we have all the answers to questions. Will we all return to work? Will it be you know, normal again? Or will there be a new normal or a new reality? I think that there's a lot that we will um, still uncover here in the next, in the, in the coming months. Sure. Is the campus open or does it have plans to open? Yeah, no, the campus is open. We've been open all year. Um, the spring was much, was very successful. We haven't had a positive COVID case in, I want to say, eight weeks, hmm. only 13 in total. That was not the case in the fall. Um, we never had to close. We never had to go fully remote, though we did choose to close um, during our extended um, holiday break. And we had everybody, you know, all of our offices closed. Um, during that time, and we delayed the start of the semester into into February, so we did have an extra long time period there. But um, we've we've been open. We've um, you know we about fifty percent of our classes were in person, twenty five percent were hybrid, twenty five percent were 
online, roughly. About 15% of our students chose to be remote learners. The rest have, have been on campus. Um, it's been a lovely week in Central Ohio. And so we've had students you know, out and about and enjoying the weather and enjoying each other. Our, our semester has, it feels like a very long spring because normally we finish up around Mother's Day and this year it's Memorial Day. So um, we are still heading toward the, the end of that semester, but it's also let our uh, uh, students enjoy a bit of a warmer weather on campus and a, a beautiful spring in, in Ohio. That's, that's great. Let's talk a little bit about policy and, and procedures and, um, you know, something that is, is kind of a hot topic, you know, with, with the UC system, public system, is regarding, um, you know, testing and standardized test scores. Um, and admittance. And do you, can you talk a little bit about, do you believe Ohio Wesleyan will ever become test blind as opposed to test optional? And, and what do you see as far as the benefits of utilizing standardized test scores versus not? So we, we have been test optional for six or seven years before my arrival at Ohio Wesleyan. We, until this year, did require students who had lower than a 3.0 at the time they applied to submit test scores for consideration. Um, others others um, had, had the choice. We did move to a fully test optional for all students this year for both a consideration for admission and for merit scholarships. Um, you know, we have never seen at Ohio Wesleyan that testing was predictive of student success. Um, if there's any correlation, it's their uh, ability to be successful in their first semester only. But long-term success, persistence at Ohio Wesleyan has a much stronger correlation to a student's GPA, their high school GPA when they enroll. Um, and so, so we have not ever seen testing as truly, or at least again, in this time period that I've been there, we haven't seen testing as truly indicative of a student's ability to excel um, with a much larger percentage. I don't have the final numbers at this point, but I know it's at least 55% of our students who did apply test optional, which is a much higher percentage than it has been in the past. It's been maybe 15% in the past. Um, so we'll certainly do spend the next couple of years doing some analysis of these new classes and these larger percentages of students who've come to us as test optional students and determine if that it remains consistent. Um, I don't know why it would not, uh, but that will be analysis that we'll be looking to conduct with our colleagues in the Office of Institutional uh, uh, Effectiveness. Um, you know, I, I, have, I did um, explore the notion, I had a staff member do some research into test blind schools and contacted a few schools that have gone test blind um, to, to ask them some questions about their process and the impact I'm working, I have a faculty committee that I that I work with and there was some interest there in exploring that. I, I personally don't believe there's yet enough data out there to be convincing that I should go in one direction or another. Um, but if our if we continue to rely as little as we do on testing, I don't necessarily see that uh, being test blind in the future is, is, is off the table. I think that certainly could be a future iteration of our testing policy. Who are your biggest competitors? So we cross applications with um, uh, the College of Worcester, 
with Denison University, with Allegheny, there's some of our peers in um, the Great Lakes Colleges Association, DePaul University to a certain extent. Um, certainly the publics um, in the great state of Ohio are strong, Ohio State, um, Miami University, Ohio University. We see some overlap with um, places like Otterbein, Capital um, with uh, John Carroll University, a bit with the University of Dayton. So it's a it's an array of institutions, mostly in Ohio. Of course, Ohio is is um, littered with colleges on almost every corner, um, public and and private. Um, but then you know a handful of institutions, obviously depending on where students are coming from. We typically see 40 to 45 percent of our students from out of state each year. So that of course presents a uh, an uh, array of colleges from around the country that we certainly are, are competing with, depending on geographic location. So with, with your background, what's your, can I ask you, what's your favorite musical? No, it's, what's, your, what's your favorite musical or your favorite band? Oh, I, I would say I'm much more of a musical person, frankly, than I'm, I'm probably a little influenced by my daughter right now. Um, you, she, one of her favorites is Waitress. Um, so therefore, I have also seen it several times and, uh, and, and enjoy that a lot. You know, tr a tried and true um, would be wicked, right? The music is great. It's um, fantastic to listen to. I loved Come From Away. Um, I actually, on my last drive, started listening to that in, in the car, um, you know, and such, tell such a, such a great, um, timely, relevant story in, in such a engaging way um, and so moving in, in so many ways. So I'm, I'm very much eager for Broadway to be reopening. I've been watching uh, all the signs of that happening. So happy, happy that that will occur. Well, excellent. That's great. Can you talk a few minutes about Branch Rickey? Yeah, sure. So, of course, Branch Rickey is one of our most famous alums um, who graduated in the early 1900s from Ohio Wesleyan uh, and who is, um, is credited with uh, the desegregation of Major League Baseball, um, largely influenced by some of the experiences that he had, even as, as a student and as a, um, a young um, coach at Ohio Wesleyan and with his involvements there. Um, we actually have renamed a scholarship after um, a, a, a African-American student who attended back in the Branch Rickey time period. Um, his name was Charles Thomas, went on to get a, a dentistry degree at Ohio State, but played baseball for us and, and had um, some um, really negative experiences as an African-American athlete. And Branch Rickey was an advocate for him at that time again, going on to, um, uh, you know, have such a, such a significant major impact. Um, so we, we uh, as I mentioned, Branch Rickey Arena is on campus. Um, as I walk up our jaywalk, which is the centralized walkway that runs from not almost one end of campus to another, but there's a number of Branch Rickey quotes in there. So, um, you know, we are, are definitely proud of our affiliation with, with Branch Rickey and sort of feel, feel that presence on campus. There've been actually a number of future generations um, who've also come through the institution as well. Excellent. Well, what a great story. What a great history. I really, I really appreciate your time and we, we thank you for your time. And um, we definitely look forward to getting this out on. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast episode with Ohio Wesleyan University. You can also find us on these social media channels on Instagram at Plexusgram. That's P-L-E-X-U-S-S-Gram. 
on Twitter at Plexus Updates, P-L-E-X-U-S-S Updates, on YouTube at Plexus Social Media, and we can also be found on Plexus 